Hello and welcome to Everyday Channel number 106, your favorite, most deceptively named bi-weekly legacy podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our brand new Patreon, Colin Oscopy. Colin Oscopy. Uh, it's a play on words, right? You guys yeah. get it? Col- yeah. Colin Oscopy. <laughs> no, can you, can you explain it to Julian? Oh. Or Matt? I was going to say, a colonoscopy refers to an exploratory venture into the colon with a camera and oh, you don't man say. and a camera <laughs> and okay, some pills. Okay, okay. This, we, we, we're, drifting way off into, we're drifting way off into a different genre. I was just t- telling the guys about a podcast that was recommended to me, apparently about like life in Japan and stuff, but the entire episode was dedicated to like Japanese porn and masturbation techniques and... I was kind of drawn into it because the hosts were, like, really charismatic, even though the topic was, like, well, I guess weird. Like, no shame for masturbation or whatever, but, yeah, I guess we were drifting way off. But it it, it really sold the idea to me that if you have charismatic hosts, the content almost doesn't matter. You can talk about anything. Well, that's what's been, like, firing up this uh, this podcast for ages, right? (laughs) Well, Colin Colin says he's a... A major Belcher player, and we, and the, uh, oh, the podcast Discord has been no, no, pure love in my opinion. Uh, the Discord has been like suffering under lack of combo players, so I appreciate his his constant Belcher posting. Oh, you it, said Belcher, and I understood Belch Belgian, and I was no, like, no, no, no. What does Matt have against the Belgians? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, for one. <laughs> No, you introduce true. yourself as as a major Belcher player. You're like, oh, you're mm. a, a major Belgian player, and you're like, yeah, I'm 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 rapping Belgium. <laughs> now, Colin Colin posted some like alters he did of his Belchers in the Discord, and their pictures of like well the actual cards, but then edited to have um like Seven Up and other drinks that will make you burp when you drink them. So big approval from me. If you really make it big, you get a sponsorship, you know, by Seven Up or something, and then you alter your cards according to that. And I think that could actually be like a market for Magic in the future. Like, if you're a really big player, you alter your cards to, 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 to basically have whatever kind of sponsorship you want. And currently, that market is not regulated, right? Wizards doesn't, doesn't say you can't have, like, basic, like, certain brands. Like, people already use sleeves of certain brands. But now, if you alter the cards to include certain brands, I don't know how Wizards would feel about that eventually. Like, especially, like, if we ever get something like a Pro Tour back again. I mean, in any kind of form. And there's a giant Coca-Cola logo in the middle of of your basic planes or something. I mean, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Kinda. I guess I would call that disrupting. Uh, that's what you like startup scene or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Moving swiftly onwards. Talking about anything else. <laughs> what have you been up to lately? Or was that all Matt's going to say? That was my cue to go, Julian. Go on, Matt. What have you been up to? But that's fine. <laughs> Fuck me, right? All right, Julian. You have yeah. to say everything twice now. Uh, I'm just going to say it once. I almost broke my arm trying to hang an IKEA frame, and it took forever. Like, fuck the Reba frame, seriously. It, it looks so nice, and then you buy it, and you try to, to make it work, <laughs> and it almost kills you. And I still have two more to go, and, and I hate it so much. But, yeah, what, what kind of... Also, I'm hanging... Um, the irony of me hanging a Fight Club poster inside an IKEA frame is not lost on me. Um, I don't know if you've watched the movie. I like it. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm about to get loads of new IKEA furniture, and yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. As you say, it always looks like you know when you see the pictures, it's like swish and whatever. It looks very nice, and when you get the things, there's always like there's always the right parts and stuff, but the the instructions are never clear enough. So you start like hammering in nails in the wrong pieces, and you smash your hair with a hammer as well, and uh, everything goes wrong. <laughs> Maybe. But yeah, other than that, um, like lots of home improvement. But the big thing for me coming up, um, we I kind of want to go back, or not kind of, I want to go back to a regular work schedule as far as like my kind of job allows for that and 
before I do that, I, I want to go on vacation. Like, not actually leave the country. I have no plans for that. But I still have, like, half of my vacation days from last year and all of my vacation days from this year. So before I go back, like, working, working properly full-time, I want to do, like, one or two months of, like, just vacation. And catching up with life because that's just like too many projects I always like involve myself in and then I, I yeah, <laughs> I stay up until four in the morning. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Guys, how's it going for you? I would say for me, because I, oh fuck, I'm not, I'm third. Fuck this. Cal, go, <laughs> go for it, go for it. Uh, I would say I'm good. Went to a wedding last night, not my own. Uh, good friend of mine. That was really exciting. It was really expensive. I'm glad I didn't have to spend all that money. Um, I've been doing a lot of thrift store shopping. Uh, it's good for the environment, and you can also find cool shit, like these scissors I have in my hand right now. I don't know if that's picking up or not. That's but, the most random thing to bring up on a podcast. I got a new pair of but, scissors last But, <laughs> Sorry. I don't know if people are aware, but Sheffield, England had a very large cutlery industry for a very long time, and so does Solingen, Germany. Um, so if you find some nice pieces of old cutlery and just get them sharpened, they work very well in the last lifetime, so... Just putting it out there. I'll, I'll treasure that information forever. I'll go to Sheffield <laughs> soon. It can't be too far away from me. Is <laughs> anything in England ever really far away from any other place in England? No, it's it's a really small island for how much influence it's had in the world, isn't it? You can, go, you can go to Scotland in, <laughs> what, like five hours or so. It's pretty good. But my point is, thrifting can be very interesting. Like, instead of buying IKEA furniture, you could just go to try to... Find so that's the guy who just opened, who just like put a thread in the in the um, what's it called, the big trading group, uh, the high end trading group on Facebook about wanting to trade cards for uh, spare parts for his Porsche 911. That's true. Somebody did actually offer me. They're like, "Hey, I'm not really using this Porsche of mine. Would you consider a trade?" And and unfortunately, it's worth more than the cards that I've got for sale, and I don't really want to put a bunch of money on top to get another one and then ship it from your it's just a big bother so i mean you, that's, you, you could like store it at my place no problem easy peasy <laughs> that's actually a good point we'll talk about this later <laughs> well, i didn't think about or that. maybe maybe you can trade a car or your cards for loads of new scissors Matt, 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 what is it actually that you're selling because when when i opened the thread the first thing i saw was like a set of black water power nine but that's actually collector's edition right yeah so um but People may be aware that Collector's Edition is now worth more than Unlimited was a few years ago. So that's kind of crazy, right? Uh, I'm selling a set of CE. I'm selling a bunch of Alpha Beta stuff, um, Arabian Nights, Legends, etc. Just extra stuff that I don't need. Moats, uh, Chains of Mephistopheles, like extras. Okay, so if you if you want to get any of the, those cards, I think you're selling them. You're you, like you 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 mentioned three ways to get rid of them: selling them, trading them for Porsche parts. Or trading them for the original art for C Trino. Yeah, do I mean, you know if anybody who, who owns that, I don't know who owns that. So if anybody does own the original art of C Trino or knows where it is, give me their address, and you will be handsomely rewarded. If I have it, will you trade your Porsche for it? No. Wait, the, the correct answer to that is which one? Uh, the Bayou one is the Lotus. Oh, okay. My bad. <laughs> okay. Let, let, let. <laughs> I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm just no, no. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. But Callum, how's it going for you? You've you've been in quarantine, right? But yeah, I think you're out of it again. Yeah, kind of. Like um, we have this funny app in the UK where if it works with Bluetooth, if you if you're near someone that like contracts COVID, then you get pinged and you have to self isolate. So it was just the classic case of I got pinged to self isolate for four days at three p.m. on a Friday. So I was like, yeah, shit, I get to like leave work an hour or two early, and then spend the whole weekend at home. That was lovely. But that was last week. Um, I got my second jab two days ago now. So in a week or two, I'll be partying with everyone well 
or soon, whatever. No, I'm feeling pretty good now. Was not out yesterday. But um, other exciting things. Uh, my band's album came out yesterday, which is almost two years ago since we recorded it, thanks to COVID. I mentioned it before, but the um, the feedback has been incredible. We are, we're set to tour the US next year. Like Every review is just amazing. We were like one of the highest selling things on Bandcamp yesterday. So wow. pretty, pretty excited about that. So um, when you go to the US, do you already know like how many different cities you're going to visit? No, not yet. So we're going to play East Coast. We're doing a festival called Decibel Fest. And then from there, we're like talking to the tour managers in the area and stuff. I've never actually been to America, so I'm really, really excited. Um, yeah, it's been a dream to like get a free trip over there flying with the band and stuff. So yeah, there we go. Oh, it's, it's even going to be free. That's amazing. And how, how yep. long is it going to be? A couple of weeks? I guess three weeks or so. Wow, wow. We've done one proper tour all around Europe before, which was three and a half weeks. And, uh, Are you still looking for somebody to join your band? I, I could, I guess they call it like <laughs> roadies or something, but I yeah, don't have yeah. tattoos yet. Well, to, to get over there, I think we have to go over as tourists, so you can't really be a band member, I'm afraid. But, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, because <laughs> like, if you go over as a band, you have to pay massive fees, like because you're a, you're a working person or something. So we're just going to fly over as tourists and uh, buy good buy instruments oh, out there i, I guess see. I see. yeah i still work around are you actually going to come to the us like yeah yeah oh wow so music is my like main passion i've been playing this band for 15 years so that's pretty cool wow yeah that's great you well actually you... Callum is going to be too big for the podcast <laughs> not too big for anything are you gonna come to <laughs> vancouver or like is there a plan to uh i think it's just going to be east coast so the the festival is east coast in philly and oh, then okay. we'll probably just be touring around there Okay, but I'd love let's... to go everywhere. Yeah, oh, great. Sorry, one day, I'll, one I'll, day. I'll let you move past the. Uh... Cool, Julian. Do you want to segue us into like listener yeah, questions? Yeah, let's let's move up from here because we um whenever you call out for listener questions, we actually we get a ton of different questions and we select a couple of those. The first one actually is coming from our good friend Scott, good brother, and his question is: Overall thoughts on Chalice of the Void in the format currently? The card has always been like on an up and down. I think it used to be a mainstay in Legacy for actually quite a long while, like many, many years. And it, it somewhat went away recently. And I think there's a pretty good reason for that. What do you guys think? I think it's the most swinging it's ever been. Uh, I think it trends to being not great right now, basically because of Prismatic Ending, mostly. It's weird because it's incredible against Delver right now. Delver is so saturated with one drops more than usual. And historically in the last couple of years, um, there was usually like two brazen borrowers to kind of deal with it or having like roughly two answers to it in their decks. But now they don't really, but they, so they Delver really struggles against it, but all the control decks where you would like lean on it to take out their source of plowshares. So your kind of stompy threats can get through. They have three to four prismatic endings and like their threats are Uro and uh, endurance. So they just don't care about it as much anymore. So yeah, it's, it's really hit and miss. Like you're going to have a great time against Delver and, a rough time against the rest of the format, I think. So, yeah, I'm leaning to a not great right now. I mean, you can always jam anything you want, but I agree with Callum. Yeah, I I think especially against Blue Red Diver, um, since they are not really running a lot of, uh, I think, Brazen Borrower anymore. Like, we used to see something like two main decks, sometimes even one sideboard. Now we barely see one in the main deck. And against those decks, it's still, like pretty good uh but it's not outstanding and if you're playing against the the blue white red uh Ragavan deck or the band miracles deck 
Both of those cards have access to Prismatic Ending, which is just like such an amazing answer to Chalice of the Void that you can easily play in the main deck. That I don't really want to be the, the Chalice of the Void player. Like when I played the, the Ragaban deck, there have been many instances where they played Chalice on the Void on the second turn, and I really felt like, you know what, let's just like, let's see where this goes. I'm going to force your next play that actually is going to influence like anything on the board because I already have Ragaban out. I have Urza Saga ready. I, I'm even like happy to, to slam a standstill here. So I, I don't even care much about this, this Chalice on the Void for one. So I think it's at one of the lowest points it has been in, in a very long time. Yeah, and like even by shutting off uh, all the one drops in Delver, like they can still just slam a Merktide and then force your next threat. And Merktide just kills so fast that it's, yeah, I agree. One of the worst points, really. Yeah, that, that's actually one of the best cards in the, in the deck. Dude, I love Merktide so much. <laughs> God, I gotta say, I tried to play some Delver recently. Um, I, just, I got two matches in and dropped and gave the cards back. I just couldn't do it. Oh, it's just... <laughs> played enough. Um, the next question coming to us from Franco Boli. It's also somewhat similar to something Meltyman has actually sent to us. Uh, Meltyman asks asks about our thoughts on entering the tournament with a stock list. And Franco Boli is asking about, uh, quoting... How do you convince yourself to play a top three deck when you are not drawn to it? You don't. I have written many paragraphs trying to articulate my sentiment, but maybe the simple question is sufficient. How, <laughs> you, you say you don't? So, I mean, so here's, here's what I think. Like, I think we've talked about this before, and I think experience trumps deck choice most times. Obviously, I would say that you can't, you can't show up with your, you know... Uh, 2005 legacy just switched over list and be like, yep, guys, I'm showing up to the tournament. But I would say that there is the guy who shows up who's been playing that one deck for 10 years who is, you know, the best on the East Coast is going to show up and do very well with the tier 1.5 deck compared to that person perhaps just picking up Blue Red Delver, for example. Um how do you play it if you're not drawn to it? I think the answer there is if you're not drawn to it, you may not enjoy it and you may sit there and say, oh, fuck this, I'm I'm not going to do a good job. I think if you're willing to play tight and you want to win, though, as we have discussed on previous casts, I think obviously that's all you can do. Play tight, try your best, and try the deck out and get some reps in. You may end up enjoying that deck. For me, for example, as much as I have played Delver before and and uh, I've got, I've been a gauntlet player against other people who are testing. Like, I don't enjoy playing that deck as much, so I don't. Callum, how do you feel about that? Yeah, similarly, I think it's actually very similar to a question that I think Mana Symbol asked a few episodes ago. So I'm sure Franco's listened to that, where we said it's a balancing of um, expectations based on what you think you want to put in and get out of a tournament result. And he says in a part of the question afterwards saying I, I've settled on myself being a contrarian be it a falter of virtue and I, I actually feel similar to this I don't enjoy Del playing Delver anymore even though it probably is one of the best decks and I've kind of gotten a bit bored of playing the control decks even though I've always liked them oh you did <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but like you don't have to see it as a major fault I think playing online the last two years over COVID has really put us into this mindset of you know you have to be playing this top thing if you want to be doing well which a lot of people understand that that's part of the nature of playing online. It's, it is more competitive and stuff. But you can definitely, like, I know Franco's played lots of Esper Vile, and that deck is great. I, you can definitely do well with it. And there he needs to say, my expectation is I'm not playing the best deck. I'm not, like, putting my chances to win as high as I could be. 
but what I'm getting out of it is a better time and still a reasonable result and, a, and an opportunity to spike well with it. Like as long as you don't play, like Matt said, a really outdated actual bad deck, then you still have a chance and experience does go a really long way. I mean, we we do consistently see some of the better players doing well online and at paper events as well. Um, I guess a good example is is Mark when after he won GP Bologna, he started to go onto Magic Online and his win rate was insane and he won like challenges in a row and then another event in a row. And his experience with control, control wasn't really accepted as the thing to do at that point. But he just kept crushing with it and he helped establish it as one of the top decks again, I believe. So just because a deck isn't perceived as tier one at the time doesn't mean that it's not capable of being that good. It's just because some people might not view it that way and it's actually better than they think and... Um, just balancing decks and how they are into tiers and how good they are is always a complicated thing as well because it depends on what other people are playing. So at the moment we've got this like Raga, Ragavan, Standstill, whatever deck, and we've got Blue Red Delver, we've got Band Control. I think it's very possible to kind of do well against them. I think Espival, as an example, could do very well against these decks. It's always been good at grinding against Control, and Jeff JTL always does well against Delver. So yeah, going going full circle. I think it depends on. Play something that's good enough and you know that's good enough to kind of get a good result out of it, but you balance it with expectations. Do you guys agree? Julian, how do you feel? Mm, yeah, I, I think you bring, bring up a good point about expectations. Uh, Matt already went into like win rates and like that you can still get a decent win rate out of playing um, like a just, I, I would say like a, when people say a non-top deck, they mean more like a, a lower tier two deck. Yeah. Uh, or like decent tier two deck and that that's already going in with the expectation that you want to do really well in the tournament and i honestly think not necessarily to a i mean that's what you said right that's that's what you were saying that a, a player who plays a not perfect deck pretty well will still do well enough and that's already like thinking about it in terms of win percentage and i think most people without knowing it don't actually want to like do well in tournaments it sounds really i don't know weird but i think a lot of people don't don't have that high of a drive to actually really do well in a tournament. I could, I could use myself as an example for this. Like I, I don't have as much of a competitive drive as you, Julian, and probably a lot of the kind of grinders and stuff, just thinking the Daniel Gertschels, the Stefan Schultzes of the online world. But um, I doubt I've got many like finishes with Deliver or Control decks in the last year or two on MTG Goldfish. But I've won a few, couple of challenges. I've like put up results and stuff. But usually with stuff like Esper Mentor or I did well with Breach and stuff and top edges a few challenges with uh, Urza Echoes and stuff. You can definitely do well with you know, non-Delver top decks and stuff. Yeah, so, I, yeah, I, 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 just, yeah. I agree with your point though, Julian, as well, that like, yeah, do are you going to make day two of a GP if you've decided to bring Siege Rhino Fit, right? I think the answer is you probably, by making that ch- choice, consigned yourself to, I might not make day two unless I, you know, play super tight and get all the matchups that I'm supposed to get. I think I think you're right in that when you show up to a tournament and you've decided to bring your fun deck that you've been working on for 10 years, you are saying, perhaps to yourself, maybe I'm not trying super hard to make top eight. Plain, I, I, I think that's probably true. And I guess people's choice about their win rate or whatever you want to call it it's like what is an acceptable uh result for a minor deck or a minor player deck and maybe some people just want to be positive right maybe they go 5-4 in the tournament and they're like that's fine for me um but yeah if you want to go that's, that's what Kellam was talking about right with regards to expectations that you you, you gotta know what you really want exactly. out of a tournament 
Exactly. Yeah, so if, if I was taking Siege Rider to a GP, I would be thrilled with a day two, and that can be your goal. And yeah, it depends on what you think you're going to get out of it. Like, you can't go into a GP playing Siege Rhino thinking, you know, I'm expecting to top eight. I mean, you might, but it's it's <laughs> less that likely. Be quite the story, honestly. I love it so much. We're going to see Matt with his like Siege Rhino and uh, I don't know, you know how happy that would make. I mean, it would make me so happy <laughs> to crush the soul, like just just to grind the soul out of someone when they're like showing up with Delver in the top eight, and you just like. They're just like, know that you're that dude, that Siege Rhino player. And you're just like, why? <laughs> yes. Why is this happening to me? The f- uh, all all light drains from their eyes. Is, yeah. You've got to drive into the like the feature match area in your Lotus with Bayou number plate. Just like flipping Siege Rhinos out the windows to all the people looking past you. That would be fine. <laughs> dude, we, we should do, so, do, do some like YouTube video skits about, about stuff yes. like that. <laughs> I'll just do donuts um, for, in the parking lot. From my line. perspective... <laughs> you, you know, just for the B-roll in between a couple, of, <laughs> just because we could. Now, um, something I want to add, at least in my experience of deck selection, because I've been the guy who never, for a long time, like way before I was, for many, many years, I was always the guy who never really wanted to touch the top decks. And a big part of that was that I always felt I would probably not play them well because I'm not that good and stuff. Like I've never had that moment where I was like, oh yeah, I'm so much better than anybody else, I'm going to play the top deck and I'm going to smash them. I, I still remember like around 2010-ish, uh, uh, one of the best players in our area, he, he was paired against me, and I might have told the story before, but that was just like such a formative moment for me. And he was paired against me in the first round of a big tournament, and he was like, oh my god, I didn't want this to happen. And I was totally lost, I had no idea what he meant. And then I, I realized, okay, he implied that I was like one of the best players in the room, so he didn't want to face me in the first round. That was my first moment of ever going, whoa, dude, recognition, what the fuck is going on? And actually, that gave me a lot of confidence. It sounds weird, but like that one moment, 11 years later or something, I, I still remember that. And it, that definitely gave me confidence to, to like try some of the top decks and... Then you grow, like you, you, people are like, this is one of those weird phrases that you sometimes see on like random posters. It's like, oh, this, like this conformant breeds growth or something. And I think that's, that's a big thing. And just go in and play those top decks. Because to me, now, now these days, like I, I played the, the Monkey Saga deck, for example, the Blue White Red Monkey Saga deck. I don't want to miss out on the experience of actually playing that deck because that deck is an already like a very historic big part of the history of Legacy. And people will talk about this deck like for years to come. And while it was the way it is right now and the way it's going to look like for probably quite some time because I don't really expect bands, I want to soak up the experience. It's like almost like that there's this amazing book out there that everybody talks about and I want to read it. And I, I kind of regret that I somewhat missed out on Breach because I never actively played Breach. I, I played against it. And other than that, I think I played all the big decks in, in the history of the format, so it's, I guess. And th- that's kind of cool, and, and, and I want more of that experience. And that's why I'm super happy to try these, uh, these other decks. And I guess a big part of that is like card order, being able to like borrow the cards, because otherwise you couldn't really do it. But yeah, yeah that's not something everybody has access to. I will double up on that and say my big moment was, well, Julian's favorite deck of all time, with Miracles, Top Miracles. That was my first deck where I like started to play the best deck, and I was like, oh my god, this is so good. I think I went like five weeks at my local game store undefeated until I got like Brizzle branded by Reanimator, I remember. But after that, I was like, holy shit, this deck's really good. And I uh, started playing it online, and it was I had it for about a year, and then it was kind of short-lived. But um, after that, it was eye-opening in the same way as like, you know, well, okay, maybe I'm not as bad as I thought. 
And uh, I had the same opinion before. I was like, I'm going to try and play these, you know, off-meta decks because I need some edge against the better players. But the reality is the better players will know what the off-meta decks are as well. And I think we've discussed it recently as well, how you, you don't get as much of an edge as you think you do by doing that. So you should try and play better decks. But like Breach as well was a good example because I was also kind of in the state where during Breach, I was trying to find a deck that beats it because that's what I kind of enjoy doing. And I was playing like these bug Uro with main deck chalices kind of builds. And then just before the showcase challenge, I was like, okay, whatever, I'm going to try it. I played it like a league and a half and then just asked Marcus Evold for a list and he sent it to me and then we met in the finals. So um, <laughs> sometimes, de- sometimes decks can just like carry you. Like, and it's so true. You do want to be part of this historic thing. And if you and if you don't, and then something gets banned, you feel like it slipped you by. I don't have the same kind of like feeling or attachment to fair decks personally, but that's just a personal thing. Any new like broken combo deck, I'm gonna just jump on the train straight away. But uh, I, yeah. should, I should give this monkey deck a try as well. And like as I kind of want to go back to Julian, what Julian was saying as well. It's kind of like I don't want to overuse the term imposter syndrome, but it's like, am I even good enough? It sounds like what Julian was kind of experiencing and like the self-realization that like maybe I'm not a giant bag of shit, whether it's <laughs> at your job or at your playing magic or whatever. It's like, oh, maybe I actually can do this. I think if if you're at the point where you're asking yourself that question, you're probably better than you think you are because you're having this realization. You're like contemplating, am I at this plateau? Am I good? Uh, the fact that you're like, you know, assessing your skill is better than a lot of the newer players and stuff. So yeah, I would. If you're asking yourself that question, I'd start to try and play some better decks, quote unquote, but also ones that you're attracted to and you think you know look fun and stuff. Like for example, Franco Boy is asking this question. He's a very good player in my opinion. So find some top deck that you know, works for you. I, I as I said before, I think Esper Vile, which he has a lot of experience with, is actually pretty good still. So yeah, I don't think you're like hindering yourself by playing something like that. Before we move on, I actually I have a like meta thought about that because this kind of question is probably the most asked question in the history of the podcast, right? Every it usually goes about like deck selection and not wanting to play a tier one deck or something like that. That's one of the most asked questions. And I feel like, like not with regards to Franco, because I know Franco is on Magic Online and plays quite a bit, but I feel like in general, there's this desire of people who don't really get to play a lot either because of COVID or because you're not in Magic Online. Like, there's a lot of people out there who, especially during the last one and a half years, didn't get to play a lot. And there's still this desire to do something meaningful, make a difference and stuff. And that can only come from deck building or deck selection when you don't really get to play that much. And I I can so much relate to that from, like, my earlier years as a player where I felt like, oh, the, the most fun I can ever have in this game is trying to come up with something really smart in the way I select my deck or build my deck. And, and that's kind of rewarding, even though you don't really get to actually, like, act on it and actually, like, live it as in playing tournaments. But it's still, like, a quite cool feeling when you come up with something. You're like, hey, this is my new brew, this is my new deck. And I think that's maybe even subconsciously drives this whole movement of I want to play something off the wall. That's just my meta-level hobby psychologist analysis. <laughs> that's, that's totally true. I, I had the same thing, and I still kind of do, to be honest, if I'm, like, you know, completely out there about it like uh buried phoenix and stuff was my first kind of brew that i really put a lot of time into like a lot of people make a lot of decks and as you said i think that the delta between people that play online and in paper as well but also just paper the people that play just paper just don't have anywhere near as many opportunities to play stuff and get their decks out there and get their decks seen so um yeah i'm sure like i I get messages from people saying here's an idea do you want to give it a go playing it and it's tough to keep up with that because 
you know everyone's having ideas and magical lines moving so fast and there are constantly cool brews happening and cool decks out there i think that the truth is you just like if you're trying to get yourself known as a brewer or like get your ideas out there you just got to play online as well um the rental services made it possible for everyone pretty much like it does cost a bit of money obviously but if you do well if you're a good player like if you think you are then you can make your money back as well but it's the kind of hard truth to put it honestly that uh you know funny you speak about like making your money back um like just last weekend i made top two in the challenge and basically what i won wouldn't even buy two copies of Fraga one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is where the rental services have to come in. Ragavan is ridiculously expensive. and But I guess it, it went down a little bit, right? They're reprinting. Yeah. Like they're bringing back the drafts and stuff. Yeah. So it should go down a bit. Awesome. So uh, this also like segues into the question um, we received from Martin. And he's asking about Monkey Saga. I saw you had some success with Monkey Saga. The deck looks wild in paper. Would you like to give a little deep dive on how the deck actually plays out? And for those who want to see the deck, um, my deck list is going to be linked in the show notes. But drumroll, it's the run-of-the-mill deck list that everybody who just like randomly downloads a copy of the Blue White Red Monkey Saga deck is playing. Three Stifers, two Lightning Bolts, uh, one Prismatic um, ending in the main deck. Like, yeah, yada, yada, you, you get the idea of that. Um, I don't know if this deck looks wild. It's... It's, it looks I don't know. very threat light until you realize part of the mana base. So maybe that's why. But it is it is also a very kind of it's like a low curve, sleek kind of control deck. It's it doesn't have like we're so used to seeing control having these like three drops like Uro or Oko last year and stuff that now to see a quote unquote control deck. But really, it's kind of almost tempo ish, right? It's actually hard to see how it plays out until you actually watch it or play against it or play with it. So, I mean, it's got four dazes. So, could you explain it? Like, is it an actual control deck? Is it a mid range deck? Is it tempo? Like, masquerading as a Delvis Delver deck? I can see how people get confused about how it plays out and stuff. So, why don't you run us through how you I, feel I would like it say, yeah. I, I would pr- pretty much call it like a smack dab mid range deck, but towards. Like it's the kind of mid-range deck that goes a little bit over the top of the other mid-range decks, which is weird because you already mentioned like the really low threat count. Like we have four Rogavans, which like for as good as they are, they're probably not gonna gonna end the game. Then we have two Merktag Regent, which is a great card to, to close out the game. Sometimes it's just like it hits them in two times and, and things just end. But the big thing is the forwards of Saga. And those kill quicker than you can really imagine. Um like People have seen these interactions, right? You can sometimes play uh, Urza Saga on the second turn, then you make your first construct on the third turn, another one on the fourth turn. And then on the fifth turn, like, you're already attacking for almost lethal. Um, I, I want to say, assuming you got the retrofit of Foundry and stuff, and your opponent lost some life here and there, maybe you have a lightning bolt. That's just, like, one of those things. Um, but overall, to me, the deck usually has like two modes and to me that's like ragavan mode or stifle mode and i mean that's already simplifying things quite a lot but i guess that's that's just like what you gotta do when you when you talk about the deck the ragavan ragavan mode is really like the big thing you want to do turn one ragavan on the play then whatever they do to try and stop it days or if it's a creature you even have like six or i guess counting uh, ending seven removal spells for one mana to, to stop that and then you just move in with the Rogavan, maybe even drop a standstill. But at this point, they're already like on the back foot, and maybe you even get to like the, uh, wasteland them. And, and that's the kind of game you play. You always feel your opponent like they're down a turn, and part of that is Rogavan giving you the extra mana. Like we talked about how Rogavan producing the extra mana is actually the biggest thing about the card. Like the potential card advantage is to me just secondary, and that really gives you the kind of tempo that you need 
to put yourself into a spot to use Ursa Saga because Ursa Saga in general, it's it's kind of nice that it produces mana that the turn comes into play, even though this deck can't really use it for much other than standstill and like a couple of other things. Uh, but overall, yeah, this is this is really what you want to do. I was about to say, like, Saga kills super fast, and this is amazing in a deck which only has three artifacts in it, but of course Ragaman makes treasures as well, so I can see, you know, these things getting huge. Yeah, that, that actually helps quite a lot, and that's something that I sometimes feel like people don't fully realize, that those artifacts are actually going to pump your, your construct tokens as well. And it gets really broken once you have the second Saga, and, like, when you have Ragavan and the second Saga, you can even, like, play them back-to-back, assuming that Ragavan actually gets to hit and still, like, have enough mana to activate both of them. I feel mm-hmm. like the big thing about playing this deck well is managing your mana well, because that's the biggest weakness of the deck. It's really, really annoying. And I mean, it makes sense, right? It's a three-color deck, and it plays like seven to eight colorless lands in, in Wasteland and Urza Saga, and that's really hard to manage. And that's something I certainly messed up quite a bit in the beginning, because I already talked about that sometimes you can play your Urza Saga on a second turn. Now, here's the thing. If you do that, and they Wasteland, your dual land then your Saga next turn is not going to produce something, and even the turn after, it's not going to produce something. Like, basically, by wastelanding your duel, they're also kind of getting rid of your Saga. And that's super annoying. And, like, being able to to time that correctly and maybe just sit on your Stifle to hit their potential wasteland or, like, even just a fetchland, but mostly wastelands, I feel like, this is this is a skill that you have to develop with the deck to be able to... to figure out what you want to be doing with the stifle or sometimes you know if you if you know what you're up against and you you ha- I, i've been in positions where i didn't play my turn one rogaban but i really really wanted to stifle the land and yeah i <laughs> we, we keep going back to this idea of you really gotta understand what your opponent's trying to do in order to play your own deck well that doesn't always apply for every single deck in legacy but I feel like for this deck, it's it's a pretty important piece of the puzzle because especially if you're, for example, on the draw and you run out of Ragavan, when you probably could do something. Like, when you're up against a deck, for example, that plays tons of removal and and they go like land pass on a keep on seven in, in a sideboard game, I don't feel great about running out my Ragavan. I, I could even like consider doing something else. And yeah, <laughs> I guess I could talk about this deck forever, but this, yeah. is, this has lots of small things. Well, I've got a few questions about it as well. Um, firstly, I'm looking at the mana base, and there's a basic planes, but no other basics. That strikes me as kind of interesting. Is that what you settled on, or what stock lists are playing? <laughs> I didn't settle on anything. Like the only thing <laughs> I did is I removed the True Name Nemesis, which mm. I later learned, at least from experience. Like it, it, it feels like the card was actually pretty big in the mirror because it, it clocks up the ground quite a bit. Um, but I added the fourth wasteland because that felt like so important in the mirror as well. Mm-hmm. But the basic planes is the weirdest card in the deck for me because I still haven't fully understood it yet. But from my experience, it helps you um, cast your prismatic endings against stuff like, you know, Blood Moon. But even then, it's kind of weird because Does you're it? not going to get rid. Yeah, the thing is, like, you're not really going to get rid of the Blood Moon because you still need an artifact from. from uh, you need Ragavan. a Ragavan treasure, I guess, yeah. I, I guess, I guess, like against Delver, you're just thinking swords and prismatic ending are my best cards, so you search up the plane straight away. Um, I'm only seeing two white fetch lands as well, so I'm sure that like four flooded strand is right, but uh, I'm being very critical. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, uh, that's something people brought up as well. Um, like this, the weird thing is, I, I copied this list from like okay. most of the, the winning deck lists. Maybe they actually made a change with regards to the fetch land configuration. Yeah. Something I actually do quite a bit is a needling. Fetchlands with Birthing Needle. 
this uh, I've got people with so many times like playing saga decks so I love main deck needles in these decks because I've done against death and taxes the most where they just don't activate their vial when a saga pops off on three and then you get needle and name the vial and they're like oh shit I was going to vial something in so <laughs> big PSA people in response to the third thing activate your fetches or activate your vial which is a huge huge thing right like making people do that making them waste their like fetch um, before they can play a brainstorm around it and stuff like just having this threat of getting a needle is very powerful so that's the thing another question i was going to ask is how do you use stifle so it's it's really i love having stifle when doomsday is probably the top um combo deck and it's very good against, well i say very good against other sagas because you can stifle the second ability which gives it the maker construct ability so you can stop them making any constructs even the third turn and stuff but still it's like you're using a spell on a land which still gets value on the third turn but do you then use it as like a big tempo play on fetch lands very often when you have ragaman in play or are there times where you hold on to it for like later things like what's the general play pattern but it depends on the matchup, right? In the mirror, mm-hmm. um, if you can do it like on the first, you would still run out Ragavan in the mirror on the first turn just to put your opponent on the back foot. Uh, it also like represents stays much better because now your opponent's like in this weird spot where they're like, do I really want to play my removal here? And I guess I have to, but then I get days and it sucks, but then they can days back. Like in the mirror, what I want to stifle the most, of course, is like a wasteland just because of the tempo advantage but something that's really really big in the mirror as well is stifling the second chapter on Ursa's saga and that's something i had to learn as well because that was done to me and i didn't even think about it but if you stifle the triggered ability of the second chapter of Ursa's saga Ursa's saga is never going to produce tokens like it's still eventually going to turn into an artifact so technically you're are you down a card yeah you are down a card but mm-hmm. overall it, 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 it feels like a good exchange pretty- even if you're down a card it's weird and this is versus a land. <laughs> but Yeah, you're yeah. down a, the thing is you're down a card, but you're also up on tempo because eventually mm-hmm. they lose the land, right? So yeah. they had to invest a land drop. Assuming eventually they're gonna miss a land drop anyway, so the tempo equalizes again. Yeah. But overall it, it feels pretty good, especially because that that's just like such an important thing in the mirror to to get the upper hand on the constructs. Just to explain and the interaction, something. because it is quite a, a weird one. I didn't get it immediately as well. So as a saga's second chapter says, put um the land gains the ability to tap and pay two to make a construct. If you stifle that ability, it just doesn't gain that ability at all. So even on the third turn, it just doesn't have the ability. Just yeah, yeah that, that's the big thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Another thing, um, for example, when I play against Blue Red Diver, it's one of those decks where you really just want to, if you can, hit their fetch lands, but most importantly, like to defend against their wastelands, because I always feel like I'm on the back foot against that deck, and when I lose, I usually lose with, with tons of cards in hand. And that's where, where I feel like Stifle is going to be the biggest thing to, to protect from that. Yeah, I guess you uh, do protect your sagas from Wasteland. And for example, whenever I played Four Color Delver in the past, I always played Stifle in the deck so you need to protect your mana base. I think that's a under, I guess, underappreciated part of Stifle in decks that are reliant on jewels. Stifle the new Deathrite Shaman? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think Ragavan might be, but Stifle is yeah, the yeah. new helper. <laughs> and another thing, like, of the big decks um, against bond miracles i i'm not too high on stifle but one thing especially in the first game is to actually stifle the endurance trigger when it comes into play because that matchup felt like like it's one of the most strategic matchups i've played in all of legacy and it, it really feels like the matchup very very often comes down to decking or timing out if you're playing on matching online but especially the decking part i, I think i've had few matchups a legacy like ever where natural decking was such a big concern and yeah it, it, it has happened quite a lot with bond miracles actually lately either me decking 
or them decking. Like I've I've had games where they basically played like almost half the deck, then they endurance it back, then they played almost the entire rest of the deck again, just because they are so really good at like going through the deck really fast, especially once they have more lands and play to cast more cantrips. But the quote unquote, what I always say, like the cards that actually do something, it's very 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 low on those cards, and that there's like this interesting play going on where you want to maximize your soul guide lantern which is your artifact that can exile graveyards you want to exile as much as possible of that deck and stifle the endurance to then get to a point that like when they maybe get to a point where they can endurance if they're playing like more copies in the main deck they are not going to be able to recycle a large portion of their deck and given this is not like, oh, 60% of games play out that way. But I would say, in my experience, like 20% of games have played out that way. And it's a pretty free thing to be aware of because eventually you're probably going to get your Lantern of your Ursa Sagas because the first thing you probably want is your Retrofit or Foundry. But, for example, the Needle is not going to do too much. Uh, and yeah, that's that's a tight game that's going on that you have to be aware of from both sides um that endurance is not like this random card that's not really going to do much into the deck uh in the matchup but yeah the the shuffling back is, is a big thing and <laughs> it's it's cool like i like that i like yes. that those strategic games i feel like you can get a leg up by just being aware of that same to me i i love it when uh you fit you've got an, it's like a deeper understanding right when a matchup comes down to decking and if it does that consistently then it just you do gain a huge edge against the people that don't understand that because they're probably going to be fighting with their counter magic and interaction over the wrong things eventually they might try and make tempo plays with the force of will or whatever but really you know that it's important to you know exile their graveyard as you said or counter an endurance and you know this 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 is similar to some other matchups in the past and like the most recent one was like the Luris era when um jpa started to get known for he was playing the jeskai lurus deck and he would board in tormod's crypt against the lurus miracles decks because he would just exile their graveyards and then you know because the only way that they would end up winning is by mystic sanctuary and treat the angels so he would just like basically side out all his threats bring in all the counter magic interaction and tormod's crypts and then he would just like exile the entreats or the biggest win was like when he got to force of negation and treat the angels it was all around built around that and so i saw a lot of messages from frustrated people saying oh this is like bullshit i got i decked out <laughs> i timed out but jpa was just on another level he he understood the matchup like that and he would do it consistently to people he would time and deck them out and it's just uh it's amazing watching someone like just understand that thing and just shows that they're a, like, such a great player so the same is happening here which is cool to see it's very rewarding, right? When when you figure something out and you act on it, and it it, it ends up working out. Absolutely, I like that. absolutely. It's it's a showing of like to to get into the position where you can get to this point. It, it means you've played the match very well, surely, because you know you've traded tit for tat and you've you know traded resources to get to the point where you can deck someone out. But then to know that that's your actual strategy as well is a level above, and it's a. Uh, there's lots of things like that in the game where you need to be aware of. Um, if you know that you're on the receiving end and you're likely to get decked out, you need to then adjust your plays to try and do more tempo things potentially. Or Bant probably could deck this deck, this deck as well. So it's uh, going to be an interesting like, thing going forward if more people learn about it. The cool thing is this is this is like not your main strategy. Like for example, I, from what I understand, like JPA for him it actually was the main thing. But this is still something like I said that comes up in like twenty percent of games. You still have like the games where you where one side just gets so far ahead that it doesn't even come down to that. But it it doesn't always happen that way, and, and that's kind of cool because now you have to actually make that strategic shift in your head. And I, I always talk about how I feel like this is 
the biggest skill in all of magic understanding when the strategy when like on a, on a simpler level the who's the beatdown kind of switches around and you're not fully aware of that then that that's gonna cause problems and that's just like what makes magic one of the greatest games i feel like like people talk about a lot of things what makes magic great and i guess there's many more reasons but to me this this meta meta level of of understanding um when strategy is supposed to switch during a match that's that's the biggest thing that makes mm-hmm. me appreciate a player for like whoa they're really smart <laughs> i agree i agree so going forward are you going to keep playing this deck and do you think the the main apart from maybe the mana base is pretty good or do you think there's some changes you'd make uh i'm definitely going to go forward with this uh, for as long as it's working um but it's it, it yeah the mana base feels kind of shaky and like stuff like back to basics is really really annoying and you you have to somewhat rush ration I guess your volcanic islands because if <laughs> if you're caught with three of your volcanic islands tapped and and Ragavan not ever being in a position to ever attack again then you can't cast your pyroblasts or red blasts what have you on on the back to basics you could daze it, it I guess but but basically yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, like, the decks that run back to basics, you often feel like, oh, Daze is such a bad card against them. Like, yeah, you already want to take out, like, a lot of your, your Wastelands. Like, sometimes I, I keep one of the Wastelands. Like, this is another weird thing. Like, I kind of like keeping one of the Wastelands if they're playing back to basics, but also Uro. And, like, part of my strategy is trying to, like, fully get rid of Uro with sorts of plowshares or even surgical they they can kind of save their uro and establish it as a draw engine unless you take out their one of caracas with your one of wasteland and i've had games where like that became a thing so it's it's not that big of a problem to just like leave in one wasteland to eventually be able to contact their caracas on the uro on their Mm -hmm. own uro but yeah the deck if you attack the mana in any kind of way it it can be quite annoying but that's very hit or miss (laughs) Yeah, I'd like to try a Crucible of Worlds in the sideboard of this. I can see rebuying Sagas and Wastelands being oh, like... Type so much. Yeah, I mean, I guess the downside of cards like that is they do get hit by Prismatic Ending and you probably bring them in in the mirrors to like take out Ragavan and Foundry and stuff. But I can see that being a pretty powerful card if you get to a state where it's good. But... Hasn't Crucible of Worlds started showing up again in one of those those Dice Factory decks or something? I'm not sure. Pretty sure I've seen that literally. Maybe it's like a Khan target. Could be a thing, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What are, what are you playing right now in, in Legacy? Is there anything that like sparks your interest? Uh, I've actually just been playing tons of Storybook Brawl. I know I mentioned it to you a couple of times recently <laughs> in chats. So that's where a lot of my like you know after work playing has gone. But uh, I don't know. Before the so I've got like my, I've got like thirty QPs sitting on my account. And I was thinking about getting to forty to play one of the things this weekend or no the showcase last weekend and then i fired up delva for a league as i said and got played two matches and i said i do not want to play delva so i'm i'm on the painter train at the moment i really love playing any kind of painter deck at all so i like that um like bob huang and stefan schultz have been doing very well with the kind of blue red ragavan style uh, painter decks so i haven't played that yet but that's that's i've got my eye on that and there's also like a blue black painter deck with tez and strixes and stuff which is just I should to make that heart eyes emoji a million times because I absolutely adore Tezzeret. So <laughs> I'm going to be looking for more painted decks, I think. It's, it's I don't know, my, my new love of, over the last year or two. But you've actually played Painter yeah. in your local, in your local uh, Legacy that you started doing again, right? Oh, yes. Magic. I want to shout that out. So we're finally getting uh, the weeklies back up again. So there's a new shop called Rogue's Quarter in Kentish Town where we're doing now Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Uh, all proxies allowed because we're pushing for that hard. And yeah, I played Mono Blue Painter, which I've also played online a little bit. Well, technically one league, which I managed to 5-0 with. And um, 
the deck is really sweet. So main deck Hydroblasts are kind of okay now because everyone's playing Ragavan and there's bolts everywhere. And then you get Whirr of Invention, which is a really cool card to just fetch out the Painter or Grindstone or Bullets and stuff. And then obviously you play four as a Saga, which the card is just absolutely nuts in the deck. You know, you very often get a Grindstone, but you can also get an LED to kind of activate Grindstone out of nowhere. A uh, pretty common play pattern for um, Painter against decks with Lightning Bolt is as a, like a staring contest where you have the mana to activate Grindstone and they have their Bolt or two Bolts up and you're playing this like kind of uh, chicken game where you, whoever goes first loses. But then with Saga, you can go and grab a Welding Jar and it gives you like a, a one-up in it. So it's just... The Welding Jar, yeah. that, that gets them. I, I bet like everybody <laughs> gets really hard, like at least the first time, right? Yeah, I've online I played against Delver twice in that league that I played and both times welding jar like stole a couple of games and it's just a it's just a cool way to win a game and you can also work for it for and stuff which is quite sweet so yeah i'm, I'm in, in in on the painter train awesome man matt are, are you um trying to to get any paper magic going back again in, in canada i mean unfortunately i think that we're still not allowed to have in-person events till august something so i'm just kind of waiting for that to happen Although Victoria's legacy scene has basically been put out to pasture, I I don't actually know of a store around here running legacy weeklies, so I'm gonna probably have to go back to Vancouver. Um, if I'm going you, with get... your helicopter, is that still how it works? Like you call the helicopter from the Canadian? Oh, obviously, I just I just over? I just give them 24 hours notice, right, and they just come pick me up, right? That's how it. That's that's how we roll. You know, you're, uh, you're really living like the GTA life. You, you have like two Porsches <laughs> and you, you fly around in a helicopter. What the fuck, man? <laughs> um, no, but actually, um, I, so I'm waiting for another um, tournament to pop up in Vancouver. And then uh, I'll probably try to head over on a weekend or in Seattle as well once the border opens back up. So I'm excited. But um, unfortunately, I just don't have a lot of opportunity right now. But if you're asking what would I play if I had the opportunity, the answer is, I think, fairly obvious. Right now, everybody knows that I've probably been playing a little bit of Enchantress, or at least I was playing Enchantress right before COVID. Um, and I want to continue doing that because there's nothing says I love you more than, like, Destiny Spinner into Nether Void. Um, fuck you. <laughs> love that. Oh, man. Awesome. Like, I'm excited to see that, Bo. Like, if you, if you ever get to do that, I want to see pictures. I want to see pictures. From 100%. Your I will send it. Don't you worry. Awesome. There's a lot of other amazing decks in the format right now and other interesting developments. And we've scoured the last two challenges, like the challenge on the 18th and the showcase challenge on the 19th for interesting decks. And I guess with regards to the meta, um, both finals were Blue Red Delva against Blue White Red Monkey Saga. Um, and those decks basically um, split the, the, the championship championships. Ooh, the Legacy Challenge Championship. But you, you know what I mean, right? One of them was won by Blue Red Diver, the other one by Blue Red, Blue White Red Monkey Saga. Why does it say 17th? Oh, because those are the winners here. Yeah, I want to, <laughs> to mention the winners. <laughs> so the 17th was won by Dimex versus some guy known as Julian. And the 18th was won by Theo Young against Kentaro Hokori. Notably, the second one was a showcase challenge as well. So it was a larger event and it had a lot more ringers in there. Not to take away from your great second place, but uh, yeah, the the, 18, the one on the 18th on the Sunday. I don't know how many players I had, like 200 and something, you might know. Yeah, it was quite big. It was like yeah. 240 or something yeah. or 230. And yeah, the, Theo is a known ringer on Magic Online, plays all formats and just crushes everything. He announced his retirement, you know, like probably a month ago. And so obviously he has to win an event. Apparently he was at a friend's cubing and just playing on the laptop between rounds. So <laughs> shout out to Theo for being great. 
That's how you yeah. do it, man. Yeah. <laughs> so some sweet tech we actually found in those lists. Um, the, the first one I want to bring up is Alpine Moon. Uh, we might have talked about that before, but that's something that Arkan actually played for the Blue White Red Monkey Saga deck. And that kind of got me, but I, I guess it would have gotten me really good, but actually I got to steal it with Monkey and, <laughs> and put it on him. And that's, that's an enchantment. Sick. When it comes into play, uh, you choose a non-basic land card name. And for the mirror, you choose Ursa Saga. And basically the way it works is that land loses all types, all abilities. And technically it still taps for one mana of any color, but I think it just like it outright kills Ursa Saga and all of them. And that's just like the beauty of it, right? It's a mm-hmm. one-mana enchantment thing that solves all the issues you might ever have with your opponent's or a saga. It's uh, a card that looks like it should be um, symmetrical, but it's not. It says lands your opponent's control. So I guess people are used to kind of like moon effects being symmetrical, but this one is like, nah, nah, yeah. we're in the new age. But I guess it's from 2019. But yeah, yeah, it's a yeah, very that's cool already tech. a child protection age. It's like you can't hurt yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that, that's a really sweet one. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder whether we're going to... Like, it's still quite specific. I guess you could use it against Dark Depth as well, the way I read it. Yeah. Land loses all abilities. Yeah, that sounds like it. Yeah. When I was brewing Phoenix, I, I played... I just kept losing to Depths. It was by far the worst matchup because they have a fast kill. They have, like, crop rotation for Bog and Surgicals everywhere. So I'd lose, like, infinite times against Tom Hep. But then, <laughs> really funnily... I beat Jax twice in the same league for like my first 5-0 with the deck because I had two or three Alpine Moons in the sideboard and just mooned him. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget that one. Poor Jax. I feel like Jax is always on the butt end of any kind of blowouts. I know. I feel, yeah. It's just because I, I literally couldn't ever beat Depths and I think I lost against everyone else apart from him just because I had this. It's not because I played better or anything. It's just I just had this you know, card he didn't expect and he didn't bring in decays. It was pretty funny. <laughs> but yeah card is niche but you know it has, it has a f- powerful effect it does just shut down some decks yeah yeah another um card that started out being niche but at this point i think it's already established as pretty mainstream is stress down that's an enchantment it's a colorless in the blue it has flash when it enters the battlefield you draw a card creatures lose all abilities and at the beginning of the end step you have to sacrifice it so I guess it's like a flash cantripping one turn version of humility is the best way to put it, right? Yeah, it's it's a really cool card because the flaw is it draws a card, it pitches to a force, it's not super expensive at two mana. So yeah, having a high floor is always a great place to be when you're thinking about including something in a control deck as people are with like patent control. Um, I think it's like Pokemoki and then Anurag after he got caught onto it, they've been championing it mostly, but it's starting to catch on for sure. I know you've put in the notes that McWin source top eight of the showcase and he had two main one side. I saw him on Twitter say it wasn't great afterwards, but I also see it do fantastic things like some of the things it kills constructs, I believe. Someone shout at me if that's wrong. So no, that's right. That, that's like yeah. one of the biggest. That's one of the cards I fear the most out of Bond Miracles because it mm-hmm. kills all of your constructs. Yeah, it's really nice. Really like just a way to sweep them up, like a non-EE thing. And draws a card, and I can see it being good against like Thassa's Oracle, where you just cast this with the Oracle in the stack. Um, there's probably a lot of other situations. Uh, how is it against elves? Have I you guess if you, if you want to like really buy a turn, you you can do it to kind of like if you're expecting a Beermoth to come up out uh, out of a Senate or something like you know a. Uh, a natural order you can do that in response and then the behemoth is not going to do anything or i guess you can do it like in the say in the upkeep when mm-hmm. you, they don't yet have enough mana to activate um uh, alosaro shepherd or like with an alosaro shepherd on the stack you flash this one in so it's not great and that it like wins the game but it's almost a guaranteed turn that it buys for you it still doesn't solve the issue of 
apps, maybe like just creating a board that's really hard for you to handle outside of Terminus. But I think it's decent enough and the fact that it draws a card, uh, I, I kind of like it there. Yeah, it plays very nicely if you have Wraths in your decks. It will just buy you a turn against a lot of decks and then... Yeah, so I'm, I'll be I'll be surprised if it doesn't if it drops off. It's a cool card. It seems pretty. One thing that's really cool that um, I didn't even think about uh, at the moment is if you get it down. Like sometimes you would play it at your opponent's end step, and then it's gonna be around for your entire turn. So it, mm-hmm. it, this is basically one of those weird timing clauses. And what you can do is like turn two, you flash it in, and then on your your own turn three, you play Uro. Uro is not going to give you the extra card draw. Like, that's the one thing you're missing out on. But it's going to stick around because it doesn't have the triggered ability that sacrifices itself. So yeah. you can legit play a turn three Uro, which if you're not playing against a deck that can actually, like, do something about it, this is, this is like, pretty insane. Like, unless your opponent has thoughts of plowshares, what are they really going to do about that? That's, sure. that's kind of cool. I- I feel like you're thinking small, though, because the answer would be Dreadnought, Dreadnought, Dreadnought on turn three. <laughs> I was about to say, so there is there is a, um, uh, I guess, Planner Portal is the name of the old deck that had, like, Mosswort Bridge. Planner Bridge. I'm, I'm going to get shouted at by the old school people here. I can't remember the exact deck name, but there is a deck that someone on Reddit's been championing called, like, Dressnaught. So you play this with Dreadnoughts and Mosswort Bridge and Emrakuls and stuff, which is crazy and pretty cool. And, like, you know, it plays forces and blue and green cards and cantrips and stuff so it's not bad it's also pretty cool with death shadow like if you just play this with a death shadow and play it's a 13 13 so <laughs> you're right one minor th- at least yeah. for a turn right <laughs> yeah that's so, not bad yeah it has actually if you, if you like uh, sorry to interrupt you there so mm-hmm. say you attack with like a one one two two shadow and the opponent's like you know what i'm just gonna take it then like after blockers you flash this one and it's like surprise 13 yeah. damage so yeah it's it's a cool card because it does a lot of niche things but it does so many niche things that you're just going to find all these interactions i think it's the kind of card where the more you play it the more weird interactions you're going to find it's it's pretty good I'm a you fan. know actually how does it work against this is this is interesting say your opponent goes like sneak attack and then response you bringing the dress down and then the creature comes in and that the delayed triggered ability from the sneak attack is still going to be around because that's not like not a that's not the ability of the creature. So the creature still mm-hmm. dies at the end of turn. It still gains haste. It's still going to attack. But I think it's the whole point. It's like Gristlebrand is just a seven seven at that point, right? That's the, that's what I would understand, right? I guess Emrakul still hits you for fifteen. <laughs> yeah, you're right. But yeah, the the, the, the the like the really important abilities are not going to be a thing for a turn. That's kind of cool. So yeah, I like the card. I like the card a lot. Like mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't mind seeing more cards like that that are not like super blowouty but playable and and do interesting things yeah i agree now the last one is a card that wasn't really on my radar at all but that's starting to see a lot of play in primarily blue red diabolists and that's unholy heat it's an instant for one red and it just deals two damage to target creature or planeswalker oh it can't even target players okay okay so it's, mm. it's slightly worse than a shock with regards to that but it has delirium so if you're having, how many is it, like four? Yeah, you need four, four different types. types in your graveyard, and then it's going to deal six damage instead. I, I guess now it makes sense that it can't target players. <laughs> so yeah, I, was, yeah. I was actually, this is the first time that I've actually seen this card, and that's why I was kind of like, oh, what, why is this even on our list? And then I read it, and I was like, oh, this is this is pretty good. This is not too bad at all. Obviously not hitting, I mean, if this was hitting players, six damage, this would be pretty busted, because you'd be like, Delver, 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 do something uh unholy heat you see you later like and then you'd have to be like mental misstep uh you know and it'd just be a little awkward 
But like overall, I think this card's pretty good. They call the charge, that's gonna be even more awkward. <laughs> and it's really awkward that it's six as well because you're Tarmogoyfs. I'm just saying, if you're still playing Tarmogoyf, kind of roasts you. I was anyway. gonna say, I've, I've never. I've it's never more for Regent, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not massively into this card. It's seen play because there are so many good one drops. You need like more one drop removal than bolts and stuff. And it with Delirium because you're already trying to get Delirium for your Dragon Rage channelers. I think that's why this card can be played because it's it's a way that it can kill Murktide region. It's not guaranteed because it can grow out of range for sure. But I think because people are already trying to get this delirium for the channelers, that's where it becomes more reliable. But uh, I don't know. I'm not massive on this card myself. I think it's part of just a metagame call how there's like a lot of these blue-red Delver mirrors. But if something were to happen or we move away from that, I think it wouldn't be played too much. Oh, that's interesting. I thought like the main reason why it's even like in the deck in the first place is endurance because endurance can be a pain in the ass to put to like push through in, in some way. And well, imagine casting like, this on endurance and then of... well, imagine they cast an endurance in response to you casting this on another endurance. <laughs> they take away your delirium. And it's like yeah, nice. Oh my god. But yeah, it's a good point actually. I didn't consider it. it I just did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, okay. So yeah, let's let's see how that works. I, I guess it's kind of nice that it's like a turn one answer to Ragavan, but also later on in the game, it's actually going to answer something that that's relevant to you. So in a way, I almost want to say this is this is a way for those blue red decks to play sorts to plowshares, kind of. Even though it's go- it's going to be hard to hit the Merktech region, I guess. Be aware that to make your Merktech regions at least seven seven in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've seen someone play a Flame Slash, so this is definitely better than that. Flame Slash is like four damage to a creature, and that's it for one red sorcery. Yeah, it's so bad. Yeah, <laughs> feels really bad. But that's like that's proper respect for endurance. But yeah, oh, it's yeah, yeah, really bad. <laughs> that's that's what I call too much endurance. Uh, too much, too much respect for endurance, I guess. Yeah. There were a couple of other really interesting decks in, in those two tournaments, and one of them I actually played against them in the top in, in the quarterfinals of the top eight, and that's coming to you from Kenikan, and I guess it's called Blue Black Bomberman. That's the best way I can describe it. It has like all the Bomberman stuff, um, kind of great creator, Oriok Savages, uh, Walking Ballistas, you know, you know the drill, right? But it's splashing black for Kavark the Spiteful, and that's actually I haven't pulled it up yet, but I think it's so it sick. Gives, it's like a four mana three two. All creatures get minus one minus one. And is it double black actually? It is double black, but they have like so Mox Opal, Lotus Petal, Ors of Signet, Cavern of Souls, um, Vault of Whispers, and Unclaimed Territory. So they're leaning pretty hard into the human cavern on human kind of side of things. Um, just for a bit of background on this player, Kanakan is pretty well known for just playing Bomberman variants, and they've done stuff like win back to back challenges on weekend. They until this last brew, they were playing. Um, what's it called the ranger of eos to go and search for like walking ballistas and uh, stone claw serpents and stuff so they they like to play loads of bomb man stuff but they really uh change it up and stuff it's really cool ingenious smith i hadn't even seen until this list got posted so it's quite a cool one ingenious That's smith the one yeah you want to read it yeah so i because i said i didn't know i'm sure other people don't as well so it's from the new set the uh dungeons and dragons set it's a uh one no white for a one one creature type human artificer so yeah as i said it's leaning into cavern on human or unclaimed territory on human when ingenious smith enters the battlefield look at the top four cards of your library you may reveal an artifact card from among them and put it into your hand put the rest on the bottom of your library in, in a random order and then whenever one or more artifacts enter the battlefield under your control, put a 1-1 counter on Genius Smith. This ability only triggers once each turn. So I think we can safely say the second ability doesn't come up too much. It's nice to grow it. It could be a threat against some of the slower matchups. But you're really playing it for the first ability. 
it reminds me of um there's a crane from Aether Revolt, I think, which is like a 1-3 flying for two, 1 and a blue, which does the same effect. But I guess since you're in white for salvages and stuff already, you want to be... And also the, the human creature type. This is just better than that. So I'll be interested to see how it is. In my experience, these cards always slightly underperform. But when you're looking for combo pieces for salvage and stuff, I can see it coming up. Did they also, play it against um, you? Worth mentioning, yeah, they played against me, and it, I think it didn't find anything. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's like you probably do hit a, a large majority of the time, but because you leave yourself open to have this um, time when it doesn't, and then you're playing a two mana one one that can grow a little bit, it's such a drop in power level if you don't find something off it. It's a bit risky. I mean, they have seventeen artifacts. Oh no, sorry, there's creatures as well. Seventeen, eighteen, twenty, twenty-four. 24 artifacts. Oh, and some lands. Uh, still. Yeah, but they are also playing um, Giru- Actually, no, they're playing Garuda. Okay, so they're not playing the thing that's the, mm. the Sky Noodle that makes your deck bigger. But I, I'm not. I'm really not sold on the Black Splash. Like, yeah. to me, like, the biggest thing about the Black Splash is the Earth of Signet, which is, like, such a nice thing to cast on the first turn with, uh, with Ancient Tomb or yeah. City of Traders. That's going to give you, like, four mana or even five mana on the second turn. But other than that, like, the double Black Cards Black Splash... And it's not even that great against like the Java decks or even like the blue white reds um, um, or the saga decks. Like, eh. yeah, I'd love I could to... see it in white, but overall, I'm not too high on that. I'd love to see how Kevik, the spiteful, played for them. Like, just watch their matches or hear about it because I don't know. I see like yeah, it kills Ragavan. It can kill non-deliriums, channelers, and unflip Delvers. Obviously, it's quite good versus elves, I guess, and stuff like that. But otherwise, one might say, yeah. But I don't know. I feel like you could play everyone's favorite um, plague engineer, but I don't know. Which is what like way easier to cast, but it's not a human, mm. I guess. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I've seen them put up a couple of results with Kevek in, so they're obviously keeping it around. So it's probably better than I'm letting on, but it's interesting for sure. Moving on, there's another deck. This, this one was actually like really interesting to me. I, first, I thought this was just like your run-of-the-mill blue-white-red miracles list um, by Alpha Blade. But this is what people have been calling time-still miracles. And h- how do we go about this deck? So at the core, it's a blue-white... Is it red as well? Or is it just straight-up blue-white? Uh, it's got blue white red. Island, so it's got cyborg yeah. red cards, like classically. Got one yeah. main so it's a blue-white-red... Well, so it's a blue-white-red landstill list. It uses three standstills. It has Shark Typhoon and only two Urza Saga. Actually, do they really only have like three ways to win under Urza Saga and 20 lands? Okay, I guess that's how it works. They play three Terminus, uh, three prismatic ending, like basically what you would expect, right? For Brainstorm, for Force of it. No Ponder. Wow. Sacrilegious. Oh, Ponder is up there in the sorcery category. Never mind. <laughs> this is the podcast where we only read the deck list once you actually go into it. <laughs> we just look at the instance for Legacy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the, the one big thing, right, the super interesting card that we see here is Timeless Dragon. Uh, Timeless Dragon is a five mana, so three colorless and two white. Uh, five, five, flying. Plane cycling for two, which for those of you who only came into Legacy into like the last 10 years, you, you can like discard it for two mana and search your library for a planes and put it into your hand and the planes can also be like you know tundra or, or yeah something like that and then it has eternalize two colorless and two white and from what i understand this eternalize you put it into the play into play you, as a token that's ex- a five five right yeah you exile the timeless dragon from the graveyard and you make i believe it's like a black zombie dragon that has flying as well 
I'm gonna maybe that's wrong. <laughs> they should have the reminder text. But anyway, this this card is beautiful. It's a throwback to Eternal Dragon, which uh, people might be familiar with, and it just looks great. Like in this old board I'm looking at now, with the artwork is so cool and old school, and it's it's pretty good, I guess. Like if you're playing against Delver, which are all these flying creatures, they're gonna need those unholy heats to kind of kill it because a five five is no joke. So also like, here comes the big deal that I missed earlier on. Eternalize is not casting the card, so you can do it under standstill. Yeah, exactly. So the idea is, I assume, is you cast standstill and then you d- discard it to hand size and then you can internalize it. I mean, you don't even need to discard it to hand size, right? You can plane cycle it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the one. And, yeah. yeah. It's also not going to be a 5-5. Five, five, it's going to be a 4-4 four, four black zombie. Like, the, all, okay. like, fuck, put this on the card, please, wizards. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, yeah, is Eternalize it always becomes a 4-4? Four, four? Yeah, that sounds Apparently. Familiar. Always yeah. a, a zombie and then whatever creature type it otherwise is. So zombie yeah. dragon. Zombie dragon, dude. Amazing. Very cool. Very, very cool. It doesn't fly? Oh, no, it says copy of it. it does, yeah. Dude, this, is, this is a train wreck <laughs> of a deck analysis, seriously. <laughs> uh, okay, so we get a 4-4 four, four flying zombie dragon black token. <laughs> makes sense we did it and then like a big giant shark is gonna join them <laughs> yeah but i love it that, that's a really really good way to kill under standstill it's it, four four flying is no joke and as we as we know like four toughness fly is is a great place to be against dragon rage channelers and delver of secrets and stuff and as you said not casting it is a huge deal so not just under standstill but it can't be counted by all the counter spells from delver as well so it's very cool to see this do well I guess you can stifle it. It says, like, exile this card from your graveyard, colon, you can, yeah. create a token. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, that's going to be exiled. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so it kind of feels bad against that, I guess. You, like, you lose a lot of mana. Maybe you set up a card after all. Yeah. Yeah, this deck is going full on with the standstill. It has the Hall of Helios Generosity as well, and the two Urza Saga. Uh, no Wastelands, at least. So. Yeah. I like that it's a spare piece. It's also, like, one of those... those ways where like on the very first turn you really try to clear the board on the very first turn and then you land a stance like you you make sure that your opponent i guess there's not really too much i guess senate or yeah. if people still played like a chalice there's not too much you really want to want to spell pierce but i guess i really just like spell pierce in control decks <laughs> you, it, you just it? Ne- it just never lines up the way you want it to it seems great in theory like you're going to protect your standstill you want to get down or whatever but it just it just doesn't play the game you want to i think I don't know. I always get blown out by it, and then whenever I play it, it's horrific. So <laughs> it says something about me as a player, I guess. I don't know. I, I guess the big thing about Sandstar is always that the trade-off is that it's going to be better against most combo decks, but against most fair decks, it's usually worse than like something like a Spell Snare or even a Pyroblast. Mm-hmm. Like, Pyroblast take- is another one of those like one-mana cards that technically work against certain combo decks, but it always, I don't know, unless you're playing against Sneak Show... And even against Sneak Show, I'd probably rather have Spare Pierce if my deck is reasonably aggressive. Yeah. Probably, maybe. But this could be an episode of its own, I guess. Yeah. Callum hates, hates Spare, uh, Spare Pierce. <laughs> it, it takes big balls to play a non, um, like, leaning into Saga deck in this metagame with Standstill, though. Um, I got a few messages from people, and the idea is kind of pretty obvious to me. I think, like, playing Standstill with Urza Saga, and that's with the Ragavan deck we already talked about that you've been playing comes from. But to play a deck that only has three sources of power as well, but has three prismatic endings with six answers to turn one threats. But with only two as a saga, like you do have the timeless dragons, so you're saying that my timeless dragons and one of Shark Typhoon and two as a sagas are gonna beat the decks playing four as a saga and four wasteland. I guess the wastelands don't do anything against timeless dragon, but you're saying my timeless dragons are gonna beat your as a sagas. And I don't I don't know how I feel about that. I think this deck. I wanna actually want to see that play out. Like, I yeah. really want to see that play out because 
it's it's tight. Like the wastelands really make a big difference. Yeah, I I feel like this deck would be slightly unfavored just based on how it lines up. I think you'd want to have more Shite Typhoons to be to be favored in the matchup. Um, yeah, but I can see this deck being incredibly powerful if as a saga didn't exist. You know what I want in this deck? I, I want like the three mana Teferi to bounce out the saga because I, I talked to Marcus about mm. this. I think that should officially be declared a war crime when you can minus <laughs> your Teferi to bounce your opponent's land and draw a card. Like what the fuck? <laughs> it is really cool. I, it's a play that I think you you call it cool. I call it a war crime. Seriously, well, <laughs> serve someone right for playing as a saga, which will be <laughs> me most of the time. Yeah, it is. It's such a powerful tempo play though. Yeah, Teferi. I, I don't know, whenever I played the Shark Still lists, I always had two Teferis in there, and it always overperformed. You could do cool things, like if you get it down, like it's just this ticking time bomb when you have standstill in play, people kind of are forced to play into it because you control interaction. And then as it keeps ticking up, you can bounce your standstill, play some stuff, and they can't play anything because of Teferi, and then you just replay your oh, standstill. that's actually, that's yeah. devilish. You bounce your own standstill, then you do your stuff, then it comes back down again, and yeah. all the while your opponent can't do anything because of Teferi. That's a, it's a fun play to see button. more of that. I was doing it with the Shark Still list before, quite a lot, actually. So, yeah, I would like to see a couple of Teferis in here. Uh, the card always performs great for me in these shells. Awesome. Yep. One last list I want to look at. That's the 22nd place list from By Cyclops. And this is, without a doubt, the list that scares the living shit out of me. Like, this is, this is I don't want to play against this deck. This is blue, red, usually also black madness. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Fuck that I deck. love, 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 love this deck as a surprise to everyone i'm sure because i love kind of graveyard value synergy aggro kind of stuff um i did try and like i think i mentioned it like in the past month or two months like kind of just very quickly on the cast saying this deck is starting to pop up i need to play it and i still haven't played it i don't know why maybe i'll play it next week at my local actually um oh you should play it at the local I this should. is the absolute crusher deck like this deck so super cool. crushes people who haven't played enough against it it's, because you yeah. think like oh graveyard hit is going to be decent but graveyard hit really only hits like I guess Venshwine and the two Ox of uh, Agonas mm-hmm. and a lot of uh, okay and what, kind of anger as well, yeah <sighs> this is super aggro so you can you can kill on turn one with this deck you just play like a a um it only takes a little bit of skill you basically turn one play a, a bunny inquiry <laughs> discard anger and two Vengevines, then you play three hollow ones and GGs <laughs> easy peasy of, yeah that's <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those things that, like, if, if there's a GP with, like, 1,600 players and everybody played this deck every round, we, oh we would God. have, like, one occurrence of it throughout the entire tournament. It'd be so cool. <laughs> I mean, you could also just go LED, discard, like, two Root Wallers and four Vengevines. <laughs> oh, that's a lot of yeah. cards. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's so hard to really fight against this deck. Like, I've been mm. in positions where I was like, okay, I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna force your LED. I'm gonna uh, daze your second LED. And then they still just, like, get you with the Burning Inquiry. Like, even Burning Inquiry has messed up my mana at times. Because when you think about it, you're on the draw and you force something. That already makes you more likely... To, does it make you more likely to discard your lands? I, I'm not even sure. But... Mm. Actually, it doesn't, I, I think. But either way... It's super, super annoying to play against because it's so hard to really pick and fight. Um, like, I've been in positions where I'm like, okay, I can really take on your creatures, but then they, they go for, like, a somewhat more grindy plan with, like, Ox of Agunas and burning uh, Faithless Looting, Flashback Faithless Looting and stuff. And Angie's Ravage has just, like, the one card that scares the most yeah. out of me. Like, this card this is, is incredible. This is, like, Attack, Ancestor Recall, plus X. We already talked about yeah. that on a previous episode, I believe. Yeah, Inquiry is just horrific to play against. It was... Uh, like a scourge of modern for a year or two when hollow one was a tier one deck with looting in the format as well 
And so people did try and port it over to Legacy for a while then with um, Goblin Law is also a popular card. And there's a card from Portal, uh, uh, the Three Kingdoms, I think, set, which is similar. But um, yeah, it just got this boost from having Blazing Rootwaller recently. And it's just a sick deck. I can't wait to play it. Yeah, the, the thing that I really underestimated about Blazing Rootwaller is that you can pu- uh, pump it for just one mana. Like, I, I wasn't too high on the card um, because to me it was just just like four more copies of Basking Rootwaller. But Basking Rootwaller costs two to pump, whereas mm-hmm. this one pumps for one. And that's a lot of times, this is the extra mana that allows them to, you know, burning inquiry or faithless looting again or, or do something broken otherwise. And oh, <laughs> I, I'm just like so, so pissed about the deck because I think I played the showcase challenge and, as well and I would have cashed the event. But in the last round, I was murdered by this and Whoa. it wasn't even close. Yeah. I, there's still a lot of place to brew it and stuff. Um, there's a lot of discussion in the Phoenix Discord, which you've changed to being like Madvine slash Phoenix. And there's people trying gambles as well. People trying, I think, some playing without Lions of Diamond, but I think the consensus is to play them. How many Oxes, how many Angers. Like, you can play Rug as well for some blue cards and stuff. So there's definitely some uh, opportunities to build and change things around as well. But the core is pretty there, like with the Root Wallers, the Vengevines and Hollow Ones and stuff. When you play blue, would you play uh, Wanda for the flying? Yeah, good question. Um, I know Phil, Thraben University Phil, has been like posting a bunch of videos about it, so we should ask him. I was wondering if they want to play the um, the pseudo bazaar, like Tradewind Ride, not Tradewind Rider, but there's a one from the first Modern Horizon set, which is like a three mana, three, four flying. When ETBs, you draw two, discard three. I wonder if you could try that as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe too expensive. This deck's trying to kill you turn one and two. Not aggressive enough. Yeah, screw yeah. that. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Awesome. Yeah. Maybe you know. Maybe I'm actually just going to load this up and play this right after the cast. Like we we were recording pretty early in the day today, and there's just so much. Or I guess I have to go back and uh, into my IKEA posters. This is going to eat another like two <laughs> hours of my day, dude. Seriously, I have the worst matchup against them. Fuck the Reba. <laughs> well, you, well, you can you can start that matchup and during sideboarding just play a league with <laughs> Madvine and you're good. Let's see how that works. What are you up to for the rest of the day? I'm going to go and see some friends at a bar. Two friends are working at one, like at one of those fancy craft beer bra- uh, bars. And uh, yeah, chill, have some drinks. Awesome, man. Yeah. So that's going to be it from Everyday Eternal today. Matt is already out. He caught a helicopter to go on a secret mission for the Canadian government. As, <laughs> as we are told, maybe he's just getting drunk, who knows? <laughs> yeah, so he says. Yeah. If you want to support us, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That's one of the biggest things that really helps us out to, you know, climb the ratings, let more people know about not only our podcast, but legacy in general. And we, we would be really thankful for that. Other than that, if you want to get access to our awesome Patreon, uh, yeah, right, Patreon slash Discord community, you can support us on patreon.com slash everydayeternal. Join the, the Discord squad, get all the sweet food pics that we post in there. And that reminds me, I also want to post a... Just like a takeout pizza again, because people have been posting so many awesome food picks and they're like one upping each other every time. It's true. You, you have to like set a baseline again, be like, hey, guys, I'm eating like shit today. So you don't feel like you don't need to feel bad about yourself when you're not eating like this every day. Like I'm also eating shit. Seriously. <laughs> What's eating? Just drinking. Oh, yeah. I, I, I guess we, we talked about that. You don't enjoy eating, right? Uh, I, I do it to survive. But I can I can appreciate nicer food, but I, I'm not crazy for it. So, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. That I mean that that's probably like what, what most people yeah. do. Yeah. Awesome. So if you want to find us, you can find us at Eternal MTG on Twitter, and you can find me at It's Julian Twenty Three on Twitter and It's Julian on Twitch. And Callum, people can find you. 
yep, I'm going to do the same thing as I always do and never remember which way around things are. Let me show my Twitter. On Twitter, it is at WhitefacesMTG. And, well, I haven't streamed for a long time, so kind of at Twitch is uh, WhitefacesMTG. Like, how often do you need to stream to be, to be considered, a, like, to maintain your streamer status? I've, I don't know. I've almost done it a few times, but... I, I think know. once or twice a month. It's, Otherwise, it's, it doesn't count. Yeah, I've almost done it after work a couple of times, but it's just so hot here at the moment that it's... I don't know. I just want to go out a and thing, drink a beer in a field instead. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. And... In order to enable our drinking beer hobbies, thanks a lot to our supporters <laughs> on the Eternal yep. Witness tier. Tommy Hinks, Testacular, Sebastian Holaga, Guillaume, Jake, and Severin Schwarzuber. And in our top Grizzabrand tier, Victor Behanst, Bachubat, Scott Monroe, Jeremy Gates, Henrik Korkutz, Tom Hepp, Bill Schlichting, and Paragon Games in St. Louis. By the way, Victor is actually having our good friend Markus Ewald on the um, on his podcast. Uh, is it called like the is it the Stockholm or the Swedish Legacy Report? Stockholm, I'm going to... I think it's the Stockholm Legacy yeah. Report. Like. It's a Stockholm Legacy Report, yeah. So go definitely go check, check that it out. out. Yeah. They have amazing production quality, by the way, at least on, on Victor's end. Like, Victor, wow. Like, I, I was blown away because this is his first podcast, I think, he produces. Yeah. And I, I was going in, like, whenever people are like, oh, I've got this new podcast, you go in, you're like, oh, this is probably going to sound like we used to sound for a long time. And I was like, wow, this yeah. is good. <laughs> he, he streams as well, or at least used to. Haven't seen it in a while, but yeah. Oh, gotta check that out then. Definitely, definitely. Awesome. Gonna go fight the IKEA frames. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Thanks, Callum. Thanks, Matt. And see you again next time, everybody. Bye bye. Ciao.